In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Please be seated. Who does this guy think he is? That seems to be the question, building in everyone's mind in the synagogue at Nazareth. Curiosity has become amazement and then fury. That young man, Yeshua, Joseph and Mary's boy, he read the scripture so beautifully, he spoke so graciously, and then he turns around and insults us. As far as they can tell, Jesus is telling them that they don't deserve God's miracles. God is sending his prophets somewhere else. What nerve coming into the synagogue and implying he's a prophet like Elijah. Who does he think he is? That's not it at all, of course. Jesus is not expressing rejection as much as reminding them of God's mission. In these stories of the prophets and in Jesus' own new ministry of miracles, God does not limit God's focus to just his chosen people, his beloved children of Israel. Then and now, God must cross boundaries and borders, and to bring healing and wholeness to a broken world, God has to prioritize. Prioritize the outcast and the stranger, all those who may not have heard the good news of God's loving power. Jesus' fellow worshipers are just too angry and hurt to hear what he has to say, and it devolves from there. While Jesus is able to walk away from the violence unharmed, it's as though the question is left hanging in the air. Who does this guy think he is? In their shock and anger, they can't hear the deeper question Jesus is asking them. Who do you think you are? And whose do you think you are? St. Paul is asking the Corinthian church the same question in this famous 13th chapter. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. We're so conditioned to think of this as a reading for weddings. To borrow a phrase from Lutheran pastor Nadia Bowles-Weber, this reading is actually a smackdown. St. Paul is not writing to people who love and cherish each other. He's writing to people who detest each other. The church in Corinth is tearing itself apart, fighting over everything and taking each other to court, jealous of each other's spiritual gifts, even while they argue bitterly over doctrine. And the poorest in the church are starving while the lucky gorge themselves and drink to excess. They are in desperate need of God's love. In fact, it is love only, love alone, that can save the Corinthian church from itself. Because it's not just that we need to let love triumph over everything bad, that to love is better than rudeness and arrogance and envy seems almost self-explanatory. It's that even what is good is empty without love. Knowledge, faith, hope, preaching, they are useless without love and not any old love either. Paul is not talking about warm feelings, but clear rooted action. Love as a verb, love is God. For it is God alone who can bear all things, believe all things, 
hope all things, endure all things. It is God who never ends. And it is Jesus who is love made flesh, love poured out for us so that we could know the everlasting promise of God's saving love in our very selves. That is the Eucharist. We will get to know God's love in our very selves. That is what this reading is really about. And the funny thing is, thinking of all the weddings I've heard this at, you don't actually need to know all about the Corinthians to know that St. Paul is talking about God's love and not married love. It turns out you just have to try being married even for a little while. Take me, for example. <laughs> I love my husband with all of my heart. But love, no matter how fierce, no matter how true, has not managed to make me always patient, always kind, and never irritable or insisting on my own way. And I can admit that because I have a feeling that some of you have found yourselves in the same predicament, full of love and maybe a little irritable. <laughs> Deep down, I think every couple knows that. And the gift, the saving grace, lies in knowing that we are all held fast in God's love when our own strength to love fails. If we read this chapter from 1 Corinthians at weddings, it should be to offer couples that reminder that it is God's love that sustains their love. Our hope, in the words of the author Demi Thomas, is that God will love us into truly loving. And that's not just the hope for married people, that's the hope for everybody. That God will love us into truly loving. And I want to take us back to the synagogue in Nazareth as those people are also in need of a reminder and we are too. Because the people gathered in Jesus' hometown synagogue are angry. But more fundamentally, I think they're hurt. Hurt to think that Jesus is rejecting them and saying that God has more important work to do than to be with them. Yet how quickly they have forgotten what they have just heard, the gracious words of scripture that Jesus has just read to them. That for the poor there is good news, that there is release to the captive, freedom for the oppressed, and the year of the Lord's favor is at hand. Jesus has just said all that and said, these words have been fulfilled in your hearing. So that means that all of that is still true and still real. And even more, they are still God's chosen people, the original recipients of that prophecy of Isaiah that Jesus is proclaiming to be fulfilled. All that can be a balm to what feels like a tough truth. It certainly is for them. That God is not just for them. God is not just for them. Yes, they are God's beloved creation, but so are all the other people in the world who need to hear and know the truth that has been their birthright as Jews, their life story. Jesus is telling his community that they have been given an incredible gift that they need to share. What the people hear as rejection is God clarifying his mission. The faithful people of the synagogue in Nazareth have helped to raise Jesus up in faith, and now they have to let him go. 
The gift of God's love that has been their strength belongs to God and not to them. And while they may desire the miracles God is doing for other people, other communities, it is still the year of the Lord's favor for everybody. Jesus is telling the worshipers in this synagogue in Nazareth to remember their faith in the power of God. The families and individuals he grew up with, the people he knows and loves, Jesus needs them to hear that God is for them. And God is for everyone. God's love won't be lost in sharing it. There won't be less. There can only ever be more. And the hurt and anxiety in this Nazarene synagogue is a lesson for us too, that our love is meant to flow up and out, outside these walls. And if we feel stopped up, if we feel disconnected from God and God's love or the work of the church, or if you just feel exhausted, God's love can and will lift you up. It can and will bust you out if you let it. We need to be alive to who in this world is most in need of miracles, most in need of God's love and our witness to it, especially now when our energy is flagging, when we most want to say, but God, what about me? Even now when it seems that we can't see any more dimly in this mirror of what's to come, the empty tomb has never been clearer, and it is clear for everybody. We need to remember that God is not just for us. God is for everybody. And the more that we embrace that God is not just for us, the more we can really be a part of that somebody, in touch with our own deep need for healing our own need for miracles, our own gifts of the Spirit that we can pour out into the world. We can be in touch with the well of God's never-failing love that longs to empower us and everyone in faith and hope. Amen. <laughs>